Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. England surrendering to terrorist mobs, and we're next. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol Lieberman, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. Well, you probably have not heard anything or much about this, what I'm going to be uh, telling you about today, because American media, mainstream media, really <laughs> pretty much any media, um, doesn't talk about all of the terror attacks and what's going on in terror in um, in places all over the world. I mean, there'll be a mention here and there, but um, really important things go on and we don't hear about it. So <laughs> I am here to tell you, um, I know I've been telling you about some stories about uh, France and, and about how terrorists have taken over Europe. Well, today I'm going to be telling you about um, England, how terrorists are taking over England. And the reason why this is especially uh, concerning is because, you know, in America, we kind of, um, uh, we feel more, uh, of course, connected to England than any of the other countries. You know, we, we did come from there. We did, uh, the, there was the American Revolution and all that. Um and so when things happen there, uh, especially what I'm going to tell you about, when something like this happens there, um, it is a big red flag, lots of red flags, that it could well happen here. By here, I mean in America. And yes, I know that people are listening to this podcast from all over. Um, but typically when I say here, I'm talking about America. Um, now, you know, I actually, talking about England, um, I actually feel like Paul Revere, but Paul Revere, you know, in, had the midnight ride in 1775, and he rode on horseback to warn Americans that the British were coming. The British are coming. The British are coming. And I feel like Paul Revere, but not, not generally telling you the British are coming, but telling you the terrorists are coming. And I've been doing this podcast for a number of years, and I've been the terrorist therapist since 9-11. And I have been telling you this <laughs> since then, because yes, we are in um, the crosshairs, and never before have we been in as much danger as we are today because of, um, well, for a lot of different reasons, you know, um, the, the president and the um, 
and his puppeteer Obama and um, and the fact, well, I'm not going to go into all the reasons. I mean, I've talked about that in previous podcasts and um, just just for, for uh, humor me and just take my word for it that we are in more danger today than ever. And especially when, when you hear what we're going to be talking about today, you will understand um, some of that. So what is happening, you know, I, I, it's like I'm saying, not saying the British are coming, the British are coming, I'm saying the terrorists are coming. But I'm also saying today, what is happening in Britain now is coming. The mobs of pro-Palestinian and pro-Hamas terrorists have taken over Britain. And that is what is going to be and already is in some ways here. Um, you, I'm sure you have seen uh, videos of um, the mobs, the, the, the so-called protests in London um, and in several other places, but in London, there are, it's, the streets are teeming with people protesting, pro-Palestinians and so on. And um, But what's different, um, I'm not going to just tell you about that. I'm going to tell you about things that they have done, these mobs, and how they are threatening and have threatened and have already changed to some degree parliament and democracy. And that is the scary part. So, you know, um, I'm calling, I've, I've uh, coined a new term. Um, I'm calling it pro-Palestinian psychosis um, and also pro-terrorist or pro-Hamas psychosis because that is what is happening. Uh, these people, these people, <laughs> don't know the truth, don't know the history, the real history of Israel and the Middle East, um, the, of Gaza and, you know, the, the uh, Hamas, for that matter, don't necessarily, um, you know, it is so absurd that there are these pro-Hamas uh, protesters because these are the people, whether it's in America or England, the UK, um, terrorists, as I've talked about before, yes, they want to destroy Israel, and yes, they want to kill all the Jews, but that is not the only thing they want. For over a thousand years, they have wanted, and still want, to kill anybody, um, to destroy any land where there are unbelievers, and to kill anybody who is an unbeliever, an unbeliever in Islam, in Muhammad. And um, so... So the people, whether it's in America or in the UK, who are protesting, you know, pro-Hamas and all that, um, don't realize uh, that if Hamas was on their, their door, doorstep, right in front of them, they'd be dead, literally dead. And especially, of course, the LGBTQ+, plus because, um, because Arab countries don't like LGBTQ+, plus. They, do, they throw them off roofs and so on. And so um, these people who are who are protesting for Hamas, for Hamas to destroy Israel, um, and and just for Hamas, and and that's a terrorist organization, and so for terrorists in general. And um, you know, what, another thing that most of these protesters don't know is that um, before October seventh, the day that Hamas invaded Israel and were cannibals, you know, were 
were um, monsters and did unspeakable things to Israelis. I mean, not only killing them, of course, but raping them and, and, and torturing them. And But before that day, Israel employed hundreds of Palestinians who would have had no money were it not for Israel allowing them to come into Israel and work. And when it turned out at the end, after October 7th, it turned out that uh, many of these Palestinians who came into Israel took jobs, um, got money, um, and it turned out that they were spies. And they went back to, to um, Gaza and told Hamas, um, you know, secrets, told Hamas about um, different lots of information about what was where in Israel and um, things that they could, um, oh, just, just bits of information that helped Hamas when they attacked on October 7th. So that's what Israelis get for being nice to these so-called Palestinians and giving them jobs and so on. Um, you know, unfortunately, in the way that we look, our schools look, teach kids these days to look at the world, they only teach them two things. There are the oppressed and the oppressors. That's what kids are being taught. And um, so, you know, when you look at it in black and white like that, where, where the Palestinians become the oppressed and Israel becomes the oppressor, even though Israel does, did not, is not an oppressor, did not do what they're saying, um, then, you know, that it's black and white and it's easy to get people um, all angry for protests. Um, and in fact, you know, before October 7th, um, America, I mean, for the last few years, actually, America, and not just America, but people have been angry after COVID and after the COVID lock lockdowns, after we were lied to about COVID and the vaccines and all of that, and um, the COVID lockdowns and the, the great economic damage it did, the, the damage it did to kids psychologically, all of this, people are angry and it's, it's, you know, understandable. But anyhow, that is how it is easy to get people to, to ignite people for a cause because there was already this underlying anger. So, um, okay, so let me tell you about what happened um, just this past week in London. Um, The uh, parliament was deciding on a um, whether they were going to have a vote on um, a ceasefire in in uh, Gaza. You know, the big bad Israel. Um, whether they should have a ceasefire. Now, you need to understand something that the longer Israel has a ceasefire, I mean, Biden uh, convinced Israel to have a ceasefire soon after October 7th, and they did for, you know, some number of days. Um, and, but the, however long they have a ceasefire, the problem is that Hamas um, and their friends in Iran um, are, are um, helping them to um, re, they re um, they're we helping, getting their weapons restored and getting them restored, you know, getting them uh, ready to attack Israel again. 
So ceasefires, you know, although it may sound good, everybody, why doesn't everybody just want to have a ceasefire and be quiet and have peace, right? It's not good for Israel because it's only good for the terrorists because that is the time that they use to get restored and stocked up and all of that to be able to attack better. Um, okay, so um, so the and it's so interesting, you know, the UN had a vote on this. It's like, um, fortunately, this was amazing. Um, America vetoed the vote, you know, didn't agree that there should be a ceasefire. But the thing is, it's like, you know, it, it doesn't really, I mean, it's a it's making a statement, but certainly neither Hamas nor Israel are going to listen to the parliament or to the UN. Uh, I mean, yes, it's not great having people be against you. Certainly it affects them, um, you know, that the whole world is against them. But um, but it doesn't really, you know, change their battle plans. Anyhow, I mean, I mean, Israel would like nothing more than a ceasefire. And all that has to be done to get make that happen is for the hostages that Hamas is still uh, holding on to them to give up the hostages and then there'll be a ceasefire but that isn't happening um, because Hamas holds on to this hostages first of all to torment Israel and second of all to use them as leverage um okay so what happened in London I'm finally going to get to tell you that okay what happened is um that there were these protesters pro-Palestine and pro-Hamas protesters um, outside of Parliament, because they knew that there was going to be this vote as to whether or not um, they would make a statement that there should be a ceasefire. In other words, that Israel should stop um, uh, defending itself, um, trying to kill all the Hamas terrorists. I mean, that's basically what Israel has, is doing and has, um, has um, tried in every which way, actually, I talked about that in the last podcast, tried every which way to get rid of I and mean, to protect <laughs> the, uh, the people in the Gaza Strip to get them to leave so that they don't get killed. Anyhow, okay, so what did these pro-Palestinians do? They not only, you know, waved flags, Palestinian flags, and chanted all kinds of things like Israel is a terrorist state, and so on. Um, they chanted... Um, um, Let's see, stop bombs, um, you know, all, all those kinds of typical things that they chant. Um, but also, this time, these people went further. And what they did was to um, project onto Big Ben. I mean, you know, Big Ben, it's, it's actually called the Elizabeth Tower after Queen Elizabeth. Big Ben, of course, is an, um, a super icon of London and of the UK, you know, a cherished icon. Um, and so what they did, you know, they didn't just chant and they didn't just have flags. They um, projected onto Big Ben from the river to the sea. And we all know what that means. Um, they're talking about the Jordan River, from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. And what does that mean? It means destroy Israel, because Israel is between the two. It's not like, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's kind of a, a euphemism in a way, but everybody really knows what it means. Just They want to destroy Israel. So um, 
So not only, you know, I mean, that is, they didn't have a permit for that. And you're supposed to have a permit um, to, before you flash anything on a building, on a government building. Um, and they didn't, of course. And um, and the police did squat, did nothing. Um, and why is this? And we're going to get into this a little bit later. But why did the police do nothing? Because, um, be, well, because they have, were told from the top down, it's kind of like it is, it is like it is in America, where it's not the individual police officers who don't want to protect, like in this case, Big Ben or Parliament, um, the MPs from Parliament and all of that. Of course, they want to do their job and protect uh, everybody and everything. But it's from they they get their their marching orders from the top down, and they are told not to um, not to get into any physical skirmishes, try to avoid physical skirmishes at all costs. Now, of course, the protesters, on the other hand, they're not trying to avoid physical skirmishes, whether it's in in England or here. Um, you know, people are getting more and more. Uh, the protesters are getting more and more, and even just you know, the, the run-of-the-mill criminals are getting more and more emboldened um, because they know that the police are being told. I mean, look, for example, during the George Floyd uh, riots, you know, the police were told down, were told to stand down in those riots. Um, now, standing down, and that, there have been other examples of that too in Portland and everything. You know, you <laughs> standing down doesn't work. Um, doesn't work to stop, you know, what these people are doing. So, um, so needless to say, let's see, needless to say, um, you know, some people were very angry, of course, that the police did nothing. Um, and and that, and I'll get into why they didn't do anything and how it and who at the top told them to stand down uh, a little later in the show. Um, but let me tell you about how uh, what some of the people are saying. I mean, this goes beyond just flashing um, these horrible slogans on Big Ben. But um, it has to do with what, how it impacted the parliament, the MPs in parliament. Now, you know, they, they purposely timed this um, protest and particularly the slogan from the uh, river to the sea to coincide with a vote, the vote that parliament was having about whether or not to, to, um, to agree on a ceasefire um, for Israel. And, and so what this was about more than just a slogan, I mean, that was pretty, you know, defacing, oh, defacing a, a British building without permission um, is bad in itself, but that wasn't their main objective. Their main objective was to intimidate the MPs, the people who represent their district in parliament. And in fact, it worked. There were MPs who were afraid to vote 
against the well it had to do with two amendments to a certain um a certain bill that was being um uh produced you know to the main bill but they were basically they were afraid to vote against the pro palestinians they didn't want to to they didn't want the the rioters um pro palestinians pro hamas they didn't want them to be mad at them because they were literally afraid for their lives. The MPs, can you imagine that? <laughs> it's like British MPs, you know, it's hard to think of somebody more solid, you know, and more, more. I mean, I'm not saying that all of them are, uh, I mean, they're all, they're all pretty solid, but I mean, uh, I'm not saying that, that you would agree with what each of them have to say about everything, but but I mean, you know, British stiff upper lip and all that. They're tough and they're ethical and they're, um, you know, more, more than in America in some cases. Um, they, you know, they've been doing this for a very long time. And so to be able to intimidate these MPs and, you know, one of the one or more um, of the MPs talked about how they personally knew about um 10 or 12 MPs who were being threatened who you know where there were actual threats out for specific MPs that if they voted didn't vote the way the pro-Palestinians wanted them to vote that they would be attacked and especially uh there were three women who were threatened and um they were given um bodyguards uh, because, because that's how serious the threat was. So the point that I'm trying to make is that it's it's bad enough, you know, all the things that these mobs do. But when you're going to change a vote in Parliament, you know, which would be like, well, we have our own problems in America with the squad and all that. So I won't, I won't get more complicated in terms of comparing them. But but here, let's just talk about Parliament. You know, Queen Elizabeth and all that. Um, in fact, you know, the building being named after her, Big Ben, the building that um, that Big Ben is in, and um, and the fact that, that that these that it's not just that they're making a lot of noise and that they're um, you know blocking streets and all of that. It is actually they have now gotten government, Parliament. Um, people in parliament to to vote the way they want them to, the way the pro-Palestinians want them to because of intimidation. I mean, that that is going over and above um, what has happened in the past. And that is a very bad omen, a very bad predictor of things to come. And I'll tell you, um, towards the end of the uh, podcast, I'll tell you about how, you know, it's happening here too, um, to some degree in, in, uh, in regard to Biden. I think I mentioned that in the last podcast, but, um, but uh, there's something that happened just recently, which demonstrates how they're, they're intimidating Biden as well. So um, I will leave it at that for this segment, um, because I'd like you to think about it for a minute. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> It's not just being out of control in their protests, um, but it's intimidating the lawmakers. And that is way over the line. 
So stay tuned. You're listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show. Uh, when we come back, we will talk about um, related things that are related to this and um, and things, you know, th that you need to know about and that you probably um, are not hearing, have not heard from mainstream media. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show. We're talking today about England surrendering to terrorist mobs and where next. Um, let me tell you about, about uh, what one of the, there is um, the former UK Home Secretary uh, named Suella Braverman had some things to say about what happened, you know, in terms of parliament um, surrendering to the pro-Palestinians. And she makes some really good points. So I'd like to read some of what she wrote. Um, she wrote, the Islamists, the extremists, and the anti-Semites are in charge now. Um, She said, um, as the debates went on, a pro-Hamas, as the debates went on, pro-Hamas protesters projected the phrase from the river to the sea, which is a veiled call for the total destruction of Israel, something that would almost certainly involve a new genocide of the Jews onto Big Ben. This was widely seen as a veiled threat to the members of parliament and with very good reason. Um, now, someone else wrote that the parliament, uh, Constantine Kizin um, wrote in the free press, the parliamentarians certainly felt threatened. Their fears led to a change in the established rules of parliament so that members of the leftist labor party could escape having to vote for an anti-Israel measure that even many of them thought was too extreme or voting against it and risking the wrath of the Muslim protesters outside the parliament building. I mean, you know, that's another thing too. Um, after they voted, presumably word would get out what the vote was and they have to get walk through all these um, pro-Palestinian um, protesters. Um, this, let's see. Conservative MP Mike Freer, who represents a constituency with a significant Jewish population, announced that he would not be seeking re-election because of threats to him and his family over his support for Israel. Imagine that, you know, and he's not the only one. There are other MPs who either have resigned or are planning to resign because they're afraid it's too too frightening to, to vote your conscience. Now, on October 15th, 2021, and I did a podcast about this, you can look back, uh, another conservative MP, Sir David Ames, was stabbed to death by an Islamist at such a meeting. And then in 2017, an Islamist terrorist mowed down pedestrians before stabbing an unarmed police officer to death outside the gates of parliament. 
So in other words, there are this there are these things to look back on where people have actually been attacked and killed. Um, let's see. Um, and so so uh, Braverman said, um, oh yeah, no, this is okay, wait. Um Let's see, I think she's, it was from her. Um, Pro-Palestinian protesters have become so brazen that they flew ISIS flags at a mid-February demonstration in London. ISIS flags, can you imagine that? And, and nothing happened. It's not just being pro-Hamas, pro-terrorist or pro-Palestine, pro-Palestinians, but, um, but ISIS and still nothing happened, you know. Um, now there have been other things happening in the UK that are that are signs that they are really uh, being taken over by by Muslim migrants. Some of well, who came from um, terrorist countries. I mean that that's the problem. That's the whole problem, as I've said before in many podcasts. Um, that the problem is, and and it's so shocking that you know people. I mean some of the leaders are pretty smart and how they didn't realize in advance, I mean, before now that allowing in um, an unregulated, I mean, of course we're doing it in America. <laughs> Our borders are, are, there are no borders essentially. And we're having the same problem here. And um, so, but you know, of course one can understand that with Biden as president, but, but still, um, I mean, for example, in the UK, they had smarter leaders, um, and um, and and yet they allowed all of these migrants to come in, and it's just in in a lot of ways, it's sheer numbers that are intimidating and that can't be controlled. Not just in in the UK, but in Germany, in France, in Belgium. I mean, this is happening all over Europe. And it's just mind-boggling that it has gotten to this point. Um, now, also in, in the UK, there are some other interesting things. Um, they they were made to feel guilty or made or intimidated um, about the fact that Muslims don't um, feel comfortable hiking, that hiking is a white uh, sport <laughs> or hobby. And so... Um, they decided that they would put on the hiking trails signs that point to Mecca to make um, to make Muslims feel more comfortable. Now, again, I always have to say not all terrorists are Muslim and not all Muslims are terrorists. But in any case, um, the British um, government or whoever was in charge of, of the hiking trails um, they the, the um it, it was declared uh muslims declared these hiking trails racist and so they they you know accommodated them by putting signs to mecca on the hiking trails which of course makes little sense but it's you know if it does make muslims feel more comfortable that's fine uh it's fine as long as it's not due to intimidation um, now I have been, I know about this for years and years, and it's only gotten worse. Gangs of Muslim rapists are are 
uh, terrorizing um, the British towns, some especially certain towns in particular, where they rape girls, teenagers, or younger. And they have not been caught or punished because um, the police don't want to be, be accused of being Islamophobic. And, um, and some of these gangs, rape gangs, are still functioning for the same reason. They don't want to seem racist or Islamophobic. So young girls are, are, are getting the worst of it. Um, okay, let's see. Um, now, here's what, you know how, um, you know how uh, our presidents of universities, you know, Harvard and MIT and the University of Pennsylvania, when they testified for, at Congress, um, they, when they were asked about why is it that you're allowing all these protests and all these um, anti-Semitic um, chants to be said and, and, you know, things to be done um, on your campuses, why, um, you know, genocide and just all these different words, keywords, trigger words. And um, and they each said, I, I watched this, the con congressional hearing. I watched some of it. It was pretty nauseating um, because each of these three presidents just like were squirming and um, said, well, you know, these words, um, it depends upon the context. And of course, fortunately, the uh, Harvard president was made to leave, um, you know, was fired uh, or decided to, or allowed to um, resign. And um, so it was this whole thing that the key there that everybody took away from the from the hearings, the congressional hearings were, it depends upon the context, okay? The, these anti-Semitic words and sayings and signs and acts that were going on on the campuses, well, it's not so bad, it depends upon the context. So <laughs> in London, um, the London police were saying, the the slogan from the river to the sea um it depends upon the context it's not so bad they're saying it wasn't a criminal offense um so you know this calling basically what's the set the slogan and what was happening on these american university campuses they were calling for the genocide of jews so with the, the presidents, you know, um, of the colleges said it, that it didn't necessarily violate their campus codes of conduct and um, whether, whether they should ban it would depend upon the context. So the London police said something similar from the river to the sea is not criminal. It depends upon the, it's not criminal if it's a public protest. In that context, it's not criminal. Excuse me. Um... And and the whole slogan is um, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. So, and projecting it on Big Ben is not criminal either, according to the London police. And I'm going to be telling you why the London police have gotten this uh, direction from the top. Um, so let's see. So they the police said, 
this is a quote. This is a chant that has been frequently heard at pro-Palestinian demonstrations for many years, and we are very aware of the strength of feeling in relation to it. While there are scenarios where chanting or using these words could be unlawful, depending on the specific location or context, its use in a wider public protest setting, such as what happened at Parliament, is not a criminal offense. Well, that is just absurd. Um, and uh, <clears throat> it just has to do, these were the directions that they got from the top not to arrest anyone and uh, just to stand down. So, um, So this intimidation by violence of the um, Palestinian protesters is working and has worked, the fact that it worked to change a vote in, in parliament is a very worrisome sign. Now, similarly, um, there was a politician, um, Lee Anderson, who was from the Conservative Party in Parliament, and he refused to apologize for saying that the London mayor is controlled by Islamists. Now, the London mayor happens to be the head, um, at least in title, of the police. So that is why the police stood down, and that is why they were told, you know, to not do anything, basically. And so this, this, um, this um, politician um, had, you know, dared to say what a lot of people were thinking, but he dared to say it. And so he was suspended um, by the conservative party when he refused to apologize for quote, Islamophobic racist unquote comments where he claimed that London mayor Sadiq Khan was controlled by Islamists. Now, um, I believe that Sadiq Khan is controlled by Islamists. I guess I might be suspended too from something. Um, and I will tell you why I think that. Um, now I'm not gonna actually go, I'm gonna just um, talk about this a, a little bit, give you a taste of it. Um, because I'm thinking what I really should do in the future is do a podcast devoted to comparing Sadiq Khan to Obama because they are both Muslims. Obama pretends that he's Christian, but his heart, um, he is a terrorist sympathizer. He is a radical Islamist sympathizer. Both of them hide their allegiances to terrorists. And with Obama, it's because of his childhood where he was trained in madrasas. And what do you learn in madrasas? <laughs> you learn that the, the most honorable thing that you can do that will make Allah the happiest is if you help to destroy Israel and kill Jews. And what about Khan? I don't think Sadiq Khan went to any madrasas, but he had a childhood in London, in the south of London, which is sort of the... Um, the less um, less wealthy, a poor neighborhood, basically, um, and he was he was um, discriminated against. 
So obviously these memories from his childhood um, affected him and are still affecting him consciously or unconsciously. I'll give them both. Well, I'm not going to give Obama a break because he, 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 for him, it's conscious. He has always wanted to destroy America and have terrorists win and have America become a uh, Sharia state, Sharia country. Um, and, um, you know, by the way, I was talking earlier about how it's been the terrorist plan for over a thousand years to have global jihad, you know, not just Israel and Jews. And um, and so, you know, this is part of it that would include America if it was up to Obama. So um, Sadiq Khan, so I'll tell you a little bit. Sadiq Khan, first of all, he's been the mayor of London since 2016. He was reelected in 2021. And I, when I was in London, in 2018, I was getting an award for my book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. Um, that won the London Book Festival. It also won the Paris Book Festival, the New York Book Festival, the Hollywood Book Festival, and a Mom's Choice Award. Hint, hint, go to my website and buy it or go to Amazon and buy it. Um, my website being terroristtherapist.com. Anyhow, so when I was there, um, I remember driving around, riding around in a taxi, and I asked the taxi driver, a cab, I asked the, the cab driver, um, how is it that um, London um, elected Sadiq Khan to be mayor, especially, you know, 2016, I mean, they had terror attacks. The 2005 terror attack, of course, was the biggest there, 9-11. I mean, it's not like they, and, and they were having problems with the um, being overgrown with, with migrants and so on. So it's not like they don't know that there is some danger. Um, so I said, how did that happen that Sadiq Khan was elected mayor? And he said, it's because of the numbers. I mean, I don't remember his exact words, but the gist of it was that basically, you know, the same people who are the pro-Palestinians now and pro-Hamas are the people who voted in Sadiq Khan. Okay, so he was born in Tooting, which is in South London, to a British-Pakistani family. Um, he, and throughout his, his um, you know, moving up, like he was a um, he he had various positions in government uh, before he was elected to be mayor of London. And all the, you can see um, in all of the things, there are things all along the route, in other words, all along his political route, you can see that he was voting for or, um, or enacting himself when he, you know, had the power to do that, things that were pro-terrorist that were protective of terrorists. And so, but at the same time, doing things that um, made him seem like he was very, um, he, that he was not pro-terrorist, that he was very, um, you know, um, had sentiments for Jews, had sentiments like, for example, with the, um, when the Florida nightclub shooting happened by a terrorist, he went to a memorial for the people who died in that. Um, I mean, you know, he had on the outside, he's trying to pretend that he is <laughs> the last thing he is is pro-terrorist. Um, but in fact, 
really, if you look at all of the things that he's done. Now, I, I sort of get, got ahead of myself um, because so he was born in South London um, to a working class Sunni Muslim family. His grandparents migrated from uh, Indi India to Pakistan. Um, his father and mother came to uh, London from Pakistan. Um, they lived in a council flat, which is, you know, um, state, uh, country, government housing for people who are poor. And um, he was planning on becoming a dentist. And then a teacher recommended that he study law instead because he had an argumentative personality. That plus the fact that he used to watch L.A. Law <laughs> made him decide to become a lawyer. And he did. And that's when he, you know, got into politics. Uh, they continue to send money to relatives in Pakistan because we're blessed being in this country. And he and his family often encountered racism. And so he and his brothers took up boxing. Well, so, you know, I mean, that was how they wanted to protect themselves. But clearly that those early experiences of racism um, have not left him. Have have made him be um, more sensitive and more in favor of um, of of protecting uh, radical Islamists. Let's say, um, for example, here's here's sort of an earlier one. Um, the the spectator in his early years of politics the spectator awarded him the newcomer of the year award at the 2005 parliamentarian of the year awards the magazine's editorial board stated that he had received the award quote for the tough-mindedness and clarity with which he has spoken about the very very difficult issues of islamic terror now, that is not, not in terms of um, being tough on terrorists. Um, let's see. So like, for example, in August of 2006, two days after seven terrorists were arrested for attempting the 2006 transatlantic aircraft plot, he signed an open letter to Tony Blair that was signed by prominent Muslims and published in The Guardian. And this letter criticized UK foreign policy and in particular the 2003 invasion of Iraq. He said that Blair's policies had caused great harm to civilians in the Middle East and provided, quote, ammunition to extremists who thre threaten us all. Well, I mean, you know, that's that's a way to 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 try to say that you shouldn't that you shouldn't. Uh, um, I mean, <laughs> that you shouldn't uh, fight these extremists, you know, that you shouldn't fight in in uh, the Middle East, in, um, in um, one second. Um, yeah, in the Middle East. So, you know, it's, I mean, that's like when people say, I mean, you shouldn't go into, shouldn't have gone into Afghanistan or shouldn't have gone into Iraq or, you know, all those places because it's just going to motivate the extremists. Yeah, but at the same time, you have to protect um, the country from them coming to it, which they obviously did not do a good job of. Um, okay, so let's see. Then he was talking to radical Islamists in prison. 
um, he, 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 there, you know, there, I mean, it's, it may not seem like a big thing, um, at the time, but, um, but there is a consistency in what his sympathies were all throughout all his time as being, being in politics. Um, a YouGov poll found that 31% of Londoners said they would not be, quote, comfortable, unquote, with a Muslim mayor. Um, but yet they, yet they uh, elected him twice. <laughs> um, he openly condemned Islamic extremism and called on the Muslim community to take a leading role in combating it. Although at the same time, he acknowledged that um, the, he, at the same time, he acknowledged the Islamophobia that many, many British Muslims faced. Now, it's the same thing as what is going on now with Biden and um, Obama, where on the one hand, they want to pretend that they are on the side of Israel and giving Israel weapons and so on. At the same time, that's not their real, well, that's not Obama's real sympathies and he controls Biden. Since Khan has been mayor, crime rates in London have increased in every year. Um, there's an upsurge in serious violent crime, especially among teenagers and young men. Um, the crime in London was five times higher than the rest of the United Kingdom. So, you know, this is what you get when he tells people to stand down, the police to stand down. Uh, the murder rate is at a 10-year high. In 2023, the anti-Semitic hate crimes rate has increased by 1,350%. So it is what it is. I mean, you know, you can't, um, you can't, you know, those are the figures. And uh, apparently he quotes from the Quran and the Hadith when discussing terrorism. So, you know, it shows where his loyalties lie. Okay. Um, in the next segment, I'm going to talk about sort of a, um, what do you call that? A uh, a number of um, a kaleidoscope <laughs> of um, several uh, short items that are all pretty shocking. So you know, lest you forget just how dangerous terrorism is. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking about England surrendering to terrorist mobs, and where next? Um, here is a reminder, just sort of a one example of countless, um, of just how dangerous terrorists are. Um, I, currently today, I mean. So, for example, there are imams, Muslim clerics, talking at mosques all around the world. The one that I'm going to be talking about right now is in Australia. But it's all over. I mean, trust me, I, I've been reading about all, all uh, lots of different um, Muslim clerics in mosques, lots of different mosques all over the world. And uh, so it's the same message all over, pretty much. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to say every single 
Muslim cleric says the exact same thing, but really, <laughs> really? All right, so this Muslim cleric, um, the main, the main uh, theme of his uh, sermon was no solution other than jihad for the sake of Allah. Muhammad didn't conquer by peaceful means. So this cleric, whose name is Imam Abdul Salam Zood um, in Australia, he said, in Sydney, Australia, to be exact, he said, um, jihad is the only solution when it comes to the infidels. That's anybody who doesn't believe in um, Islam. The only way to restore Palestine, we are not looking to kill people and take their land, only to spread Islam, which was created to reign supreme over all other religions. Well, I mean, we're not looking to kill people and take their land, um, only to spread Islam. But at the same time, he's saying uh, only jihad is the only way to do that. So this was on February 9th of this year. Um, this imam did a Friday sermon in Sydney, and it, oh, but it wasn't just in Sydney. It was streamed live, and that's a lot, you know, the, a big problem for a lot of these imams. You know, they they stream their sermons. It doesn't just go to the people in their congregation. They stream their sermons, not everyone, but a lot of them stream their sermons on social media. So they reach a whole lot more people and all over the world. So he said um, that the Prophet Muhammad and the righteous caliphs did not conquer the world by peaceful means, negotiations, concessions, or understandings. Rather, they conquered it by jihad for the sake of Allah. Um, he continued to say that the goal of jihad is not to kill people, but to spread Islam. Um, jihad is the only solution when it comes to the infidels, and Palestine will only be restored by jihad. Now, jihad is war, is religious war, struggle. And so, you know, this is, this is very, um, this really isn't, um, being honest here, you know, because the, the goal is not to kill people, but to spread Islam. But the problem is that if spreading Islam means if people get in the way of spreading Islam, then you have to kill them, um, according to jihad. Um, so this this imam has been linked to a number of terror, terror operatives, including Al-Qaeda. He was, in fact, a recruiter for al-Qaeda, but he's denied this, but they have, you know, there's a, um, a terrorist organization that, that researches these things, that goes and finds out these things. So um, he said, quote, this is the purpose of fighting and waging jihad against the enemies of Islam to fend off their evil from the religion of Islam and to defend Allah's religion, which was created to reign supreme over all other religions. And all the more so when the jihad is meant to fend off an aggressor. 
Jihad for the sake of Allah is the only solution when it comes to the infidels. The Prophet Muhammad conquered countries only through jihad. Quote, do not even dream that Palestine can be regained through negotiations. By Allah, Palestine will only be restored through jihad for the sake of Allah. So, you know, they're saying, I mean, so all these negotiations that are going on as we speak, <laughs> um, you know, there this um, uh, this imam is saying that they don't mean anything. You don't. That's not how you do it. You do it through jihad, through war, through killing. These people quote these people only understand the language of force. See how the Americans are leaping to Arab countries, begging them, but Hamas and the resistance are taking their time. Everybody is waiting for their response. When has our nation ever reached such power by any means other than jihad? With these developments, Allah wanted to show us that the only solution is jihad for the sake of Allah. So, you know, he's talking out of both sides of his mouth, um, trying to say we don't want to kill anybody, but the only way to, to um, save Palestine or the Palestinians um, and um, to, you know, make global jihad is... Um, you know, make it, the only way to get um, to spread Islam all over the world is global jihad. Okay, now here's some other. I said I was going to give you some short, shocking stories. <laughs> so, um, okay, now th this, this, well, I don't know if you're going to, you may find this shocking or at least surprising. Maybe shocking is overstating it, but. Uh, and I know this to be true on a personal level because I have met people who tell who have told me their stories about specific um, uh, captives, hostages in Gaza, you know, hostages that Hamas took from Israel and that are in Gaza, that they weren't able to get medication um, that they needed. You know, some of the people who are the, the hostages are older and have chronic illnesses. And so if they don't get their medication, like heart medication and so on, they're going to die. And of course, Hamas can say, you know, it wasn't our fault. <laughs> um, but actually, um, what this, what those people told me about was that um, they these hostages weren't getting their medication, even though the families gave the medication to the UN. Now, we know already that the UN is... Um, is really dangerous to Israel. Is really um, is really uh, not what it's supposed to be. You know, not supposed to be a peace, a peace, um, an organization that tries to make peace in the world. It's very anti-Semitic, and um, and so the you know. But I, I must say, I was shocked when I he heard these stories about the people, the families giving the medication to to the UN. I mean, to the Red Cross, sorry. How did I get to the UN? Well, okay, because I'm thinking about something else as well. The medication the families gave to the Red Cross and the Red Cross did not give the medicines to the hostages that they were destined for, that they were supposed to go to. But I, I the reason why I'm talking about the UN is because I was also thinking about how we have discovered um, that the UN um, ha is, is uh, protecting people protecting is is basically part of Hamas or Hamas is part of the UN um, in, in, the, in Gaza. 
Anyhow, so now the new story is that um, not only is the Red Cross not giving these medications to the Israeli hostages, but um, Israel has discovered undelivered medicine for hostages um, in a Gaza hospital. So, um, you know, there was uh, the UN, what I was talking about in particular was the connection between uh, UN UNRWA. You know, I think I talked about that in my last uh, podcast or the one before, recently talked about it, um, how really that that is connected to, to Hamas. And then, um, and the UN has refused to evacuate some Palestinians to safety. Now, excuse me, why would they refuse to evacuate Palestinians? They're supposed to help Palestinians. <laughs> why would they not evacuate them? Well, a couple of reasons. One is because um, they want to the PR to look the worse for Israel. Um, you know, that Israel, although Israel is trying to save the Palestinians, have them um, leave Gaza. If uh, the UN doesn't help them leave, then, you know, that makes more people that they can say Israel killed. Anyhow, um, so, so, um, so the medicines, there were medicines for hostages found in a Gaza hospital. These were medicines that were sent privately by families, similar to what I was saying about uh, the Red Cross. And um, there was a report um, from, from the Times of Israel that said, quote, dozens of containers of medication bearing the names of Israeli hostages in the Gaza Strip that were found by Israel Defense Force soldiers at Nasser Hospital in Khan Yunis had been sent as a part of a private initiative by relatives of several captives that did not involve Israeli authorities. Um, the medicines were shipped in November via unnamed European countries. After arriving in Egypt from Europe, the medications entered Gaza through the Rafah cr crossing. Um, and there was yet to be any indication they reached the intended recipients. 253 hostages were taken on October 7th, 1200 were killed. Um, and so on. So, so these families found a private way to send the me the medicine um, that their relatives needed, and um, it still didn't get to their relatives. It was uh, stuck in a in a hospital in Gaza. Um, now here's a this one is a little shocking and not shocking. Um, Israel's foreign affairs minister said in many houses in Gaza. Our soldiers found copies of Mein Kampf. I mean, it's shocking in a way, but not really, because that, of course, there is the connection way back that started way back um, with with Hitler and the Holocaust. Um, Hamas are the new Nazis. Um, in many houses in Gaza, our soldiers found copies of Mein Kampf. Obviously, you know, obviously they are um, aligned in their hatred of Jews. Um, here's one. Um, this is an example. 
a Minneapolis Muslim who was trained at an ISIS camp said he would, quote, shoot New York up. We are going to come blow New York up. Now, I am mentioning this because, um, you know, lest you think that there are not still these, these plans. I mean, there are terrorist cells in America, all over America. One, because they came across the border. We know that there were terrorists on the terrorist watch list that came across the border that are coming, still coming across the border. And we know also that 80,000 Afghans were brought over to America after Biden surrendered in Afghanistan. And um, some of them were helpful to our troops, but they were, they were not vetted properly because, you know, in the chaos that there was with the surrender. And so surely there are some who are terrorists and who are plotting terror attacks. Um, so there's this man named Harafa Hussein Abdi, and um, he is from Minneapolis, and he was recently charged with providing material support to ISIS and receiving military-type training at an ISIS fighter camp. So this man is 41 years old. Um, he he um, moved from Minnesota to Somalia in 2015, and he joined a group of ISIS fighters at an ISIS training camp. And um, during this time, he carried an AK-47 assault rifle. He received training on how to use it. <laughs> he um, worked in the ISIS group's media wing, where he filmed footage for distribution by a pro-ISIS media outlet. Um, and then in so on in social media communications, you know, they so they sent these things out on social media. And um he was uh you know he described while he was at the ISIS camp, he described how he had left the United States and joined the Islamic State. Um, he talked about also um, how he used, he, he also, um, he talked about how he had left to, to join an ISIS training camp in, he, in other words, he, he, he traveled to Somalia to join an ISIS training camp. Then around January 2017, he sent an audio clip of rap lyrics. Everybody wants to be a rap artist. He sent an audio clip of rap lyrics where he expressed support for ISIS and described multiple acts of violence, including shooting and bombing people in New York City. You know, this is his plans. So he said, hollow tips, put a hole in your Catholic vest and chop his head off, let it rest on his Catholic chest. You think he has a uh, potential? <laughs> he said, we are going to carry on jihad fly through America on our way to shoot New York up. They are trying to shut this thing. We, we ain't going. We going to come blow New York up. Um, he sent this audio clip to at least 20 social media uh, users and outlets and so on. And then he also said, he also had a clip that said, fighting back the cover who's at war with Muslims. If that is not Islam, then I don't know what's Islam. I, I'm not sure he has great potential as a rap artist, but anyhow, so then he left the ISIS camp in 2017. 
and um, he traveled to East Africa and he was arrested there. And then he was eventually, you know, sent to the FBI. And um, now he's in deep, deep trouble about to be, um, about to be, well, he was charged and he's about to uh, be, have, have a trial. But my point in telling you that story is he is not the only one. He is an example. And there are many others who are who are still, whether it's ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Hamas, whatever training, whatever terrorist group they particularly like and connect with, they have not given up. <clears throat> um, okay, so now here's the kicker. Um, remember, I was talking about, we started out by talking about the pro-Palestinian protesters in London, uh, projecting their sayings onto Big Ben and about how that actually had an impact on parliament, on the MPs who were afraid to vote against these protesters. So you think that's only in England? Um, I mean, I know we have protesters, pro-Palestinian and pro-Hamas protesters, of course, in America, way too many of them, but they are also just, just um, let's see, just, when was it? Just this week, um, Biden was um, in New York and he was um, doing a, doing a, a television interview, the late night um, television interview, Seth Meyers' uh, late night show. And um, he, when he went into Rockefeller um, Center um, uh, to, you know, to, to when he went to the, to the place, um, 30 Rockefeller Plaza, where the um, taping was going to be, lo and behold, in the, um, you know, on the first floor in the plaza um, were pro-Palestinian protesters. Um, and they were demanding an end to the Israeli invasion, the Israeli invasion. So they followed him into 30 Rockefeller Plaza for his interview with NBC late night host, Seth Meyers. Um, and he visited an ice cream parlor with Seth Meyers. Um, I mean, you know, he has to have his ice cream cone. Um, so anyhow, just to say that, um, you know, the pro-Palestinian protesters, pro-Hamas protesters are trying to do the same thing here. And in fact, they are already um, having an impact because Biden is worried that, um, you know, he, he wants to win the election. He still thinks he's going to make it to the election, um, you know, that his... Uh, Dementia is not going to be bad enough um, by the time election day comes, but we'll see. Um, but but he's still hoping to win in any case. And um, there are places that are um, there are people. I mean, pro Palestinians are you know like right there in Thirty Rockefeller Plaza, um, telling him basically if you don't vote, you know, um, or or make Israel not try to get, uh, try to kill Hamas, try to protect itself, then we're not gonna vote for you. 
So this is concerning him because he has very low polls to begin with. He can't afford to lose any votes. That's if he's still going to be uh, on the ballot when election day comes. In any case, um, I hope, I know that's a lot actually, but I talked about a lot of different things, but the overarching point is that um, the pro-Palestinians are in, at a very dangerous level right now. And uh, in terms of having power because of fear intimidating our um, elected officials, both in parliament, in, um, in London, and also Biden. So thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol Lieberman, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.